tells people they're too stupid to breathe sometimes. So, <laughs> Amen. Uh, all right, guys. Yeah, amen to that. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16 this morning. So, um, you've seen on the screen before we uh, before I put the verse up uh, this morning. So, last time, a few weeks ago, I ministered on mercy, grace, and faith righteousness. And um, I've got a lot of feedback from, from that teaching, but... I was not satisfied with that teaching. It's just, you know, I just, I just wasn't. I, I didn't like it. They gave it to me to upload on YouTube, and I was like, I'm not even putting that up on YouTube. I just don't like it. So, uh, but what I want to do today is because what I felt the Spirit was wanting me to do was he was wanting me to just really focus on mercy and grace, and I tried to put too much in there. So I, I'm going to go, and we're going to go back over that today, but we're really going to emphasize mercy and and grace, okay, and um, also, if if you needed the little test, am I hearing the Spirit of God? If you're wearing yellow today, you're hearing the Spirit of God, because me, John, and, and Hannah, we all heard the Spirit of God, so, I, this, th- this morning, I got up, and I was looking through, you know, through my closet, and I was like, well, well, next Sunday's Easter, it makes more sense to wear yellow next week, but, you know, I guess God just spoke and really wanted me to wanted me to wear yellow. So, Amen. Hebrews chapter four, verse sixteen. Let, let's read. We're going to talk about mercy and grace. Um, it says, "Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace." So we we're, we're thankful. We we're, praise Him that it's a throne of grace, not a throne of judgment which is what we tend to think of when we think of God's throne. We think of a place for judgment. But the, the author of Hebrews here says it's a place of grace. That we may, so notice this, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So along with what Brian was saying this morning, talking about trials, talking about tribulations, you know, most of the time when you go to the throne, when you go to God, you need one of two things, but if you need one, you need both, right? Uh, you need mercy or you need grace. And if you need mercy, you automatically need grace. Um, but, but we go to the throne, we go to his presence to obtain mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. So in our times of need, we need the mercy of God, right? We need the grace of God. But something interesting here, what this uh, showed me is that there is a difference between mercy and grace. And this morning, I don't want to contrast these two things as much as I just want to show you that these are two things that we need to to live um, a victorious life in Jesus. We need mercy. We need grace. And like I said, every time you, you, you go to God, you, you usually need one of two things or both. You need mercy, which is God's kindness, God's love, God's forgiveness. Um, you know, and how many know we all need that, especially when we've messed up, right? We need the mercy of God. But then we also, we need the grace of God. And we're going to learn today, and, and I talked about it last time, but the grace of God is God's strength, His ability. It's God's power to overcome. Right, So if you need mercy, when you go to the throne and you receive mercy, you also need to know, okay, yes, it's, it's nice to be affirmed, it's nice to be known 
to, to be told that you're loved, that you're not disqualified, that you're righteous, you're holy and justified. But listen, how many knows it stinks to be stuck in a cycle of defeat? It, 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 it's horrible. You know, God will never condemn you, but that doesn't mean that your own heart won't condemn you. Okay? That doesn't mean that other people won't condemn you. All right? So we, we want to get out of that cycle. We, we want to get to that place where we don't need, and I know this sounds blasphemous, but hear my heart here, where we're, we're not needing mercy as much because we're walking so strongly in grace. Okay? Um, and, and, and I shared this last time, but I think a lot of what we've called the grace movement or the grace revolution would be better known as the mercy movement because what it is, it's this, this, this great understanding of God loves me no matter what. right? God forgives me no matter what. God cares about me no matter what. God wants to provide for me no matter what. Healing is without strings. Provision without strings, right? Uh, it's the end of legalism. So, so we, we, that's the, been the focus in what we call the grace movement, and that's actually not grace. That's mercy, all right? Um, and a lot of what, and here's my, my you know, uh, controversial statement number one, um, a lot of what men, grace ministers claim to be preaching, they're actually ignorant of, Okay? Because the grace of God is God's strength. It's God's ability. It's his power to overcome working in you. All right? And we'll, we'll get to that in a minute. But, but the reason we need to know this is because we need to know that there's more. Right? There, it, it's, we shouldn't just stop with, all right, thank you, Jesus. I'm forgiven of my sins. Thank you, Jesus. You love me unconditionally. I, I don't like. And no one who is born again likes being in sin or falling into sin or making mistakes. Like, we hate that. Like, it starts this cycle of condemnation that, that we just want to escape. And a lot of people are stuck in a cycle of condemnation because when they mess up, they go to God, they receive forgiveness, but, they, but they're ignorant of grace. They don't know that they can have God's ability, God's strength, and God's power working in their heart to overcome what keeps defeating them. All right, um, so I want to look at some big picture um, observations about mercy and grace. So in the Old Testament, the word mercy is found 208 times. The word grace in the Old Testament is found 37 times. So notice the big difference there, right? Mercy is emphasized a lot more than grace under the New Testament or Old Testament. Under the New Testament, it's reversed. Mercy is mentioned 54 times, while grace is mentioned 122 times. So here's the conclusion I reach. Whatever mercy is, it was needed a lot more under the Old Covenant than it is under the New. I'm not saying it's never needed under the New. I'm just saying it was needed a lot more under the Old. All right? And here's what else it tells me. Whatever grace is... It wasn't widely and easily available until the new. And it wasn't as available under the old. All right? And we're going to get to all that. But now, um, let's go to John chapter 1, verse 17. I want to make this point. John chapter 1 and verse 17. 
And I know when we share things like this, you know, we're, we're kind of messing with your definitions, messing with... Because, listen, a lot of us, we, we talk about tradition and we think of legalism. Listen, when your mind starts getting renewed and you start hearing about grace, you develop grace traditions. Tradition is just when I believe what someone else has said over what God has said. So a lot of us have our definitions based on our favorite grace preacher. Right? That's tradition. Right? So a lot of us develop... Tra- but here's what I'm saying. Sorry, I didn't mean to beat you up. Sorry. Um, um, if, if you already feel this stretching you and making you think, now wait a minute, I, I, I suggest you just take a second and in your heart ask God for clarity. Ask God to hear the heart of this, to understand the heart of this, okay? Um, John chapter 1, verse 17. Let's look at this. For the law was given through Moses. Now notice this. But grace and truth came through Jesus. Now here's what I want to point out. All right, the, te- the typical definition that we hear for grace is what? A merited favor, right? And I shared last time any serious and legitimate Greek uh, dictionary that you can look up, you'll never find that definition. The closest I can come to it is un- under the Amplified Classic Bible. Anytime in the New Testament it says grace, it'll put in parentheses unmerited favor. That's as close as I've come to finding that being, you know, uh, connected to cares. Now, here's what I think. I don't believe that's a wrong definition. It's just not a complete definition. Okay, so because listen to this, grace, whatever grace is, it came through Jesus Christ. All right, so let's say that grace here is just unmerited favor. Then here's the problem with that. What Under the Old Testament, everyone God dealt with was a result of unmerited favor. Nobody earned it. Nobody deserved it. Abraham didn't deserve God's blessings, right? Um, Jacob didn't deserve God's blessings. Moses did not deserve God's blessings. Um, David did not earn God's blessings. There's no one under the Old Covenant or in the Old Testament who can say, I earned that. I deserved that. The nation of Israel... They, they began to get prideful, and they're like, yes, we are God's country. We are God's people. And God comes along, and he says, listen, I didn't choose you because you're so awesome. I chose you because you were the least. All right? So what's that mean? That means Israel experienced God's what? His unmerited favor. All right? Um, why did he choose David? David was just a shepherd boy. But God chose him and favored him without him earning it. So this tells me that grace can't just be unmerited favor because everyone under the Old Testament that were chosen by God experienced his unmerited favor to a degree. All right? So whatever grace is, it was not widely available until Jesus came and brought it. It's just like truth. It doesn't mean that the Old Testament isn't truth, but Jesus came in and he, that's actually one of the uh, things he was talking about when he said, you know, I, I didn't come to destroy the law, but I came to fulfill it. That word fulfill in the Greek means to, to bring to its intended purpose. 
right? So Israel had taken, by the time Jesus came, Israel had took the commandments that were holy, just, and good, and they used it to say, look at me. I am better than everyone else. But Jesus came and said, no, you missed it. The fulfillment of the law is love. All right? Um, so let, let's talk about this, guys. Let's get into this. What is mercy? Can I go ahead and get that picture up, please? Um, what is mercy? To truly understand what mercy is, um, a lot of times, you know, I can give you all these verses. I'm going to do that here shortly. Uh, I'm going to give you verses on grace, and I'll give you a couple on mercy. But sometimes, this is the way God works. A lot of times, God doesn't give you a verse. He gives you a picture. All right? That's what we see Jesus. That's the way Jesus taught. If you notice, Jesus didn't spend as much time quoting Scripture as he did drawing pictures for people. Right? If, if he, he, the farmers understood him because he used farming as an illustration. The fishermen understood him because he used fishing as an illustration. Right. Jesus was good at Jesus was a minister and he looked at his job as I'm a painter and I and the canvas is the heart of the hearers. Okay? So God a lot of times he works in pictures. To truly understand what mercy is, I can give you all these verses, but I think this picture tells you what mercy is greater than any any verse I can give you off the top of my head. All right? So this is the mercy seat or the, this is the Ark of the Covenant. The mercy seat is that lid on top where you see the angels. So under the Old Covenant, the Ark of the Covenant, or the Old Covenant, yeah, what am I, wait a minute, I'm saying so much stuff I'm getting confused. So under the Old Covenant, this was the Ark of the Covenant, and this was in the tabernacle. This sat in the tabernacle in the Holy of Holies. So there's, there's three compartments, right? There's the court, and then there's the actual building. In that building, you have the front place, which is the holy place that the priest would go in there every day. But then there's the Holy of Holies, which is where the Ark of the Covenant was, and that was only entered into once a year. All right? And so let, let, me, let me take my time with this. Um, inside of this uh, Ark of the Covenant, there are three items. Each of these three items represents man's rebellion. All right? There is the Ten Commandments, the tablets of stone that, that God wrote on it, the Ten Commandments. They were in the ark. Um, what does that represent? That represents our uh, rebelling against God's commandments, God's laws, God's morals, God's values, God's ethics. Okay. Uh, then there was Aaron's rod. Um, when when, when Israel, some people in Israel, they had a problem with Aaron and Moses' leadership. Uh, so God said, all right, we're going to each of you take a rod. We're going to take 12 rods. Whichever one buds in the morning, that's the one I chose to lead you. Okay? Um, so the next morning, Aaron's rod that was not connected, there was no root. It made no sense, but the next morning it had blossomed. Okay? It had budded. So what's that represent? That represents our rejecting God's leadership. Um, God's got the people that God, and I'm not, don't, don't get, like Logan said, don't get spooky, don't get weird, but it's, you're rejecting God as leader and the leadership he's put in place, all right? It's, it's God's government, God's authority. We've rejected that. We've became a God unto our own. And then last there was manna. So what was manna? Remember the children of Israel? They were hungry. Um, 
You know, they, they weren't about that fasting life. They weren't about get, trying to get more anointing. They were hungry and they were grouchy. And uh, they were, you know, like my wife starts to get when I'm going a little long on Sunday mornings. Uh, you know, I'm kidding. But, uh, you know, so what's that represent? God gave manna, right? He, he gave manna. That represents God's provision. So it's a rejection. So in the ark, we have a rejection of God's commandments and God's laws and God's values. We have an illustration of a rejection of God's leadership. And we have a rejection of God's provision. Right? And provision, don't just think money. It's anything God tries to provide. Because God is always trying to provide for you. Always. Um, every sin, listen to this. Every sin is ultimately the the the... It's you ultimately rejecting God's provision, right? Think about it. Lust is you just choosing, all right, I'm going to, to reject what God's provided, and I'm going to do my own thing, all right? So it's just every, that's, that's, that's what every sin is a result of. But now, um, once a year, the high priest would enter the Holy of Holies where was the Ark of the Covenant, and it was known as the Day of Atonement. That's what your Bible will say. But do you know historically what the Jews referred to that day as? The Day of Judgment. Now, this is what I find interesting because what did that judgment look like? The people weren't judged, but a sacrifice was. Blood was shed on that day, and that was the judgment. But the, but the blood shed was not that of the people. It was that of their sacrifice. All right? And so, um, so what would happen is on this day, um, the priest, the people, the individuals, and the nation of Israel as a whole, um, they would take two goats. We have the, the, the goat that would be sacrificed, and then we have what is known as the scapegoat. So when we talk about, hey, that person is just a scapegoat, this is what it comes from, Leviticus 16 and Leviticus 23. Um, but, so they would sacrifice one animal. They would sacrifice one goat, and it's a long story, but the other goat would be let loose. Uh, both of those represent Jesus, by the way. See, we always like to make ourselves part of this. We always like to make ourselves the, the, the good part of the story. I shared that when we talked about Jesus in Genesis. The scapegoat is not you. You are not the one that gets to go free. The scapegoat is actually, it's Jesus. It's just a different part of his redemption. The, the goat sacrificed represents Jesus on the cross. Um, the goat that was let go into the land of, of nothing represents Jesus in his burial. Okay? Because um, Jesus went to the realm of the dead. What that looks like, I've ministered on that before. Uh, it's controversial. I didn't feel like getting beat up this morning. I got a birthday party today, so I was like, I'm not even going to touch that. Um, but that's that. Okay, but, but each goat represents Jesus who became sin for us because we aren't judged for our sins. Jesus was. Um, I made the comment the other day on a post to Jeremiah because Jeremiah said, listen, God won't punish you, but, but your own stupid decisions will. This is the way I say it. God's not punishing you for your sins, but your sins, they're punishing you. We're not being punished for our sins. We're being punished by our sins. Um, and then we blame God because it's our, reject, it's our rejection of taking responsibility. It's our rejection of, of, of take, uh, being accountable. Stop speaking truth. 
<laughs> so, so listen to this. It's, it's important, guys, because listen, the other day I made a post about, you know, um, that one day. Listen, for the believer, the fact that we're one day going to stand before God and give account of our life, that should not be a fearful thought for you as a believer. But it should be a sobering one. Like, one day I'm going to stand before God. I'm going to say, here's how I stewarded my marriage. Here's how I stewarded my, my children. Here's how I stewarded my family. Here's how I stewarded this ministry. My, my, you know, all these things, my friendships, all of these things, one day I'm going to give an account. And we know as believers that judgment's not heaven or hell, right? But there's a rewarding that takes place. But anyways, I say all that and say, listen, I had people come at me and got so upset because I shared that. Grace does not excuse us from accountability and responsibility. It, it does not. Um, but anyways, sorry again, I didn't mean to beat you up. That's free. That has nothing to do. I'm supposed to be talking about mercy here. And, um, it, well, it's, it's WrestleMania weekend. I'm really excited about that. So I'm just going to act like I wasn't up till midnight watching wrestling. And I'm just going to act like I'm not going to be up to like 1 a.m. tonight watching wrestling. Um, but anyways, uh, so at the day of, after the Day of Atonement, here's what would happen. Okay, on the Day of Atonement, that, that, that goat's blood was shed, and the priest would bring that blood in and put it on the mercy seat. And once blood was placed on the mercy seat, and the mercy seat is the lid, it's, up there, it's, it's a representation of God's throne, okay? When they would put that blood on the mercy seat, then God's presence would show up, right? God's presence would manifest itself. So here's what this represents. This is why this is a picture of grace, the, or the, a picture of mercy. The people of Israel weren't judged, their sacrifice was. When we're not judged, that's not grace, that's mercy. Because we're not getting that thing that we deserve. The penalty of sin is death. And that, that penalty was paid. But thank God, not by us. But Jesus paid that penalty. Jesus shed His blood. The reason that when we mess up, that God doesn't strike us, that He doesn't slap us, that He doesn't, you know, uh, curse us with sickness, curse us with poverty, curse us with, you know, insert your worst fear. The reason that is, is because He is merciful. You don't have to be judged because Jesus was judged. Right? Jesus paid the penalty. So, so thank God that He's merciful. So people will mess up, they'll sin, and they'll say, thank God for grace. No, if you were talking about grace, you wouldn't be in this situation. Thank God for His mercy. Thank God that's the reason God's not beating you up. That's the reason God doesn't say, okay, now we got to shed blood. Because Jesus took... Listen, this is a picture. Uh, God told Moses, and then the author of Hebrews said, listen, this thing, there's one of these in heaven. The book of Revelation talks about that. Uh, right now, today, listen, you can watch shows, documentaries on the History Channel. They're trying to find this. You watched uh, Indiana Jones. Indiana found this, but, you know. Uh, but anyways, they're trying to find this. But in the book of Revelation, heaven is opened up, and there it is. So you want to know where the ark is? They can keep looking. They won't find it. It's there. 
All right? And the Bible tells us that when Jesus ascended after his resurrection, that he went and he put his blood on the heavenly mercy seat. And what happened was that shut down any access. He cleansed the heavenlies. Have you ever thought about that? It says he cleansed the heavenlies, which means they needed to be cleansed of something. See, the accuser we learn in the book of Job, the accuser had access to the throne, and he went to God's throne and he said, all right, you know, if, you, if you'll just get Job with sickness, he'll curse you to your face. Right? He, he, he cursed God. He, or he, he accused Job. But when Jesus ascended and he put his blood on the, the heavenly uh, Ark of the Covenant, on the mercy seat, it cleansed the heavenlies, and now the enemy has no access to heaven. For the last, there has never been one time in your life that all of heaven hasn't been for you. Think about that. There's not been one time in your life, saved, lost, where all of heaven wasn't for you. There is no accusation against you in heaven. That is powerful, all right? So after, so after the Day of Atonement, though, Israel were free to fellowship with God. They were free to bring their daily sacrifices. They were free to, to, to relate to God. It's the same thing after the cross, we have free access to God. No matter what we've done. Why? Because there was a sacrifice that was judged. Our day of judgment, now again, I'm not saying, again, there is going to be a, a judgment day for everyone, believers and unbelievers, but ultimately our judgment day that, that sealed our eternal fate was on Calvary. That, that ultimately was our day of judgment where our, our fate was sealed if we'll believe and trust in Jesus. Right? Put that faith there, man, and, and, and keep it there. But... Let's go to Psalm 103, verse 6. I, I want to look at something else um, about mercy. Psalm 103, verse 6. Did that make sense to you guys? Do you understand what I'm saying about the mercy seat? So think about it. It wasn't called the grace seat. It was called the mercy seat. If, why? Because that's where you found mercy. So mercy is when our sacrifice is judged. We're not. We're blessed because he was cursed. We're healthy because he was made sickness. We're, we're blessed because he was cursed, okay? So Psalm 103, verse 6. Here we'll see some more about what mercy is. The Lord ex executes righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. I'm really trying not to go on. Like, I'm just going to throw this out there. A lot of grace people would have a problem with that verse. Because when I say God's not judging you, that doesn't mean that God still doesn't judge. That is still ultimately one of his roles. Is he, I like how the New Testament calls him the judge of all the earth. But see, we've been programmed by legalism to when we hear judge, we think, man, okay, you know, I let that word slip, God's going to slap me. All right? Thank God for His mercy. But again, look here, verse 7. He made known His ways to Moses, His acts to the children of Israel. The Lord is what? Merciful. But then I like this, and He's gracious. But notice he's, it lists Him as merciful first. And gracious. 
And look here what it says. He's slow to anger. Um, slow to anger. That's mercy. Slow to anger. See, God has grace and God acts through grace, but God is merciful. It's who He is. It's part of His character. It's part of His DNA if He has DNA. I don't know. But um, And abounding. Notice He abounds in mercy. All right, verse 9. He will not, look here, He will not always strive with us, nor will He keep His anger forever. Why? Because He's merciful, because of His mercy. Verse 10, and here is mercy. This is the, the biblical definition of mercy. We call it grace, but right here we see this is mercy. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. That is mercy. God, are you saying God's dealing with me? Because you're, you're saying that grace is ability. God, uh, grace is strength. See, what I've heard people, when I bring that out, they'll say, listen, you go down that road of saying, defining grace as ability, strength, and, and, and uh, power, what's going to happen is you're going to get into legalism. Not if you understand mercy. Not if you understand mercy. Because mercy says to me, He's not dealing with me according to my sins. He's not punishing me according to my iniquities. Right? And let me say this. The word mercy is a... In, in the Hebrew, it's the word hased. Some people say hased. I don't know. I'm not a... I don't know. But I'll say hased. Um, it's a covenant term. The reason... So if you read, like, every, every translation is different. Some say love and kindness, but I primarily use King James, New King James. It usually translate, has said as mercy. Mercy is a covenant term. And all it means is God is faithful and loyalty to His covenant. All right? So let me say this, and this would help a lot of our grace people too. When I'm talking about mercy, when I'm talking about this right there, the, the, the Hebrews understand that we're always talking about someone who's in covenant. Not everyone is in covenant. Not everyone's under this covenant. This covenant, every, every major covenant in the Bible was made between God and man. Right? We call it the Abrahamic covenant. Who is it made between? God, Abraham. Mosaic covenant, even though it was made with Israel, it was, it was specifically made with God, Moses. Davidic covenant, God, David. Now, the new covenant where we mess up is we say it's about me and God. No, it was still made between God and a man. The man, Christ Jesus. All right, well, then how do I fit in? That's what the Bible, the New Testament's talking about when over 200 times it refers to you as being in Christ. That's a covenant term. So mercy, this is a covenant term. Now, we, we thank God. We've got 2 Corinthians 5 that says, listen, he's not, he's, not, um, he's not holding our sins against us right now. We, 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 we understand that, but also know that God works in dispensations. He works in ages, right? So we've got to understand that there is coming a day where that window closes. It's a short period, but it is, some, it is in the Bible, all right? Um, it's getting, getting 
tense in here. Y'all are like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Um, so listen here, but here's what said means. God is faithful to keep his end of the covenant, good or bad. So a lot of the stuff that we have problems with that we see in the Old Testament is actually God's mercy. Why? It's him keeping his part of the covenant. And it's ne- a covenant is never forced on anyone. Never. There's always a response. Um, under the new covenant, we know our response is we believe when we believe we're put in Christ. right? But, it, but it's Christ's responsibility to keep the covenant. And we benefit from it. But listen, it's never forced on anyone. So the old covenant was not forced on Israel. Remember, Moses goes up to God. God gives him the Ten Commandments. And what's going to happen if they don't keep it? Moses comes back down off the mountain. He says, listen, here's what's going to happen. If you do good, you're going to be blessed. You do bad, you're going to be cursed. Right? And what did they say? All that the Lord has said, we will do. They signed the covenant with their tongue right then. And so God's mercy would say, listen, you're in idol worship, you're, doing, you're offering your children to Baal, all these things. Because I'm merciful, because I'm a covenant faithful, covenant-keeping God, I've got to keep my part of the covenant. And you know, we read the Old Testament, and because we don't, it's not in chronological order, you can't get those Bibles. We think God was going around just judging them all the time. But He actually wasn't. He was slow to anger. Right? We, we don't realize that like, we, you know, we read over there in like Second uh, Kings, God's starting to judge, and then we get over there in Isaiah and we think, oh, here He's judging again. Jeremiah, oh, there He's judging again. Ezekiel, oh, there He's judging again. No, they were all speaking around the same, there's just two or three different periods, but they're all speaking in one of those periods, right? Um, He's slow to anger. But hased is a covenant term, so we have to know that. So let's look at grace. So if, if, if mercy is God's not dealing with me according to my sins, that God loves me unconditionally, that He's forgiven me of all my sins, that He's kind to me, well... If that's mercy, then what in the world is grace? Right? That, that's, that's it. Let's go to Luke chapter 2 and verse 41. And like I said, unmerited favor, let me say this, unmerited favor is not an inaccurate definition. It's just incomplete. Unmerited favor just tells me that it's free. But it still actually doesn't tell me what it is. Um... So we're going to get to Luke 2.52. We're, we're going to start with Luke 2.41. But I just want to say ahead of time, I'm talking about this for one reason. I got my verses mixed up last time, and I preached this wrong, and I repent of that right now before you all. I'm sorry I said it was something that it you know, wasn't, or I said it wasn't something that it actually is. So I want to look at, though, the unmerited favor part of grace. I do want to show you that. So this is speaking of Jesus. He's 12 years old, right? Um, His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. When they had finished the days, as they returned, the the boy Jesus, I love that, like he became the man Jesus, here he is, the boy Jesus, right? Uh, 
The boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother did not know it. But supposing him to have been in the company, they went a day's journey and sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. So when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. Now so it was that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. Now... Usually this time of year, when I minister this time of year, I really emphasize, I usually do a message on the humanity of Jesus. Because religion, you know, what a lot of people would have you believe is Jesus, like, he pretended to be man. Like, Jesus was a baby, and he was God, and he knew he was God, so he's like, you know, I'm going to poop my pants just to kind of trick them. Like, no, he, he became a man, Right? And so here they think, you know, a lot of people have this idea that Jesus is sitting in the temple, he's listening, and he's asking questions, kind of be a smart aleck. Like, I, oh, I, I really know this, but, you know, let me ask just to kind of wow you. No, he was learning. All right, and we're going to see that here in a minute. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. So, because here is the difference. We were born with a sin nature. Jesus wasn't. Jesus didn't have anything hindering him from when he, when he read the Scriptures, when he listened. to See, these men were reading the Scriptures through a lens, a lens that, of, of this sin nature, right? But Jesus, when he read it, he didn't have that lens. He had a lens of love, right? Uh, verse 48, So when they saw him, they were amazed, speaking of his parents. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. And he said to them, Why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? Here's teenage Jesus, right? And he sounds just like one, right? I'm just joking. He's, he wasn't in a rebellious stage. But, but I, I love this. But notice here verse 50. This is why we're here. Well, but they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. Verse 51. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. Uh, another definition of this is he was obedient to them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. So I, I want you to notice something. Jesus, here he is, God in the flesh, but yet he subjects himself to his parents. Here he is, someone without a sin nature, but he subjects himself to those with one. I just find this so powerful that, that Jesus subjected himself to his parents. And notice the results. This is why I'm talking to you about this. The finished work, let me say it this way. The work is finished. The work is not automatic. Grace, we're about to learn, grace is something you have to lean into. Logan gave that word this morning. Listen, you've got to lean into that. You've got to begin to expect that to happen. Like Logan said, you're not going around saying, listen, I'm, I'm going I'm to prophesy this morning. right? It's not that. But you know what I'm going to do with that? I'm going to wake up tomorrow morning. Father, I thank you today for divine encounters, divine appointments. I thank you that I will speak as the oracles of God. I will have a word in due season. You are free to use me as you please this day. right? And then you just listen for me. 
if I go to Walmart, nothing happens? Nothing happens, right? But so grace is leaned into. So I say that because, look, so he subjects himself to his parents, verse 52, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature. He grew up uh, both physically and mentally. And here's why we're here. And in favor with God and men. So this word favor is the Greek word charis that most of the time in the New Testament is translated as grace. Um, so he, he in favor with God and men. So here's what this tells me. That charis, this didn't just happen. Jesus knew what the Scripture said. He knew what was right in God's eyes. So think about the Ark of the Covenant. They rejected God's morals, values, and commandments, right? His law. So here we see Jesus. What's, the, what's, what's part of the law? Honor your father and your mother. Here's Jesus leaning into that. What we say the second thing was Aaron's rod that represented us rejecting God's leadership. Over the children is who? The parents, right? Over the parents should be God. So here you see Jesus leaning into Charis, leaning into grace by submitting himself to God's appointed leadership. Okay? I think this is so powerful because it tells me, like I said, the work is finished, but it's not automatic. Grace is something you lean into, you submit to. You're not working for it. That's not what I'm talking about. Things go wrong in your life when you reject the way God says do things. Everything, every season in your life where you're like, oh my gosh, I'm in this pit, how will I ever get out? Now, I know things happen to us in this world, right? I, I'm aware of that. But a lot of the time, most of the time, I would dare say, we went against God's way of doing things and got ourselves in a pickle. Not, like I said, this world brings fallen things our way. You know, like we, we lost a son. We didn't do anything to lose a son. Right? That's not what I'm saying. That's, we didn't do anything for him to be born the way he was. Not what I'm saying. But most of the time, we get ourselves in situations. We go against God's wisdom. Right? But here was Jesus leaning into God's wisdom leaning into God's way of doing things. He wasn't being weird with this. He just like, listen, I know, what, I know what my father said. My father said to honor my father and mother. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go honor mom and dad. I'm going to subject myself to them. And this is why this is powerful. He's in the temple schooling these guys, these old men. He's holding his own in these, in these, these theological conversations with these men. But then his mom and mom comes up and she's like, you better get your butt home. And he doesn't start a theological discussion or debate with her. Yes, mom. And he goes and he subjects himself unto her. Commits himself to her. All right? So let's talk about what grace is. Grace is God's strength, ability, and power working in the heart of the believer. To be under grace means you have placed yourself under God's influence. Uh, the, the, so you won't find a merited favor in a dictionary. You might. I've not found it. You might. Okay, I'm not saying it's not out there. I've just not found it. Um, 
You might not find that, but what you will find is in the Strong's, it refers to it as the divine influence upon the heart. This is what I love. Mercy comes from God. Grace works from without. In Hebrews, it said, it is good for the heart to be established in grace. Grace is something that works in your heart. All right. Um, so, so think about that. The divine influence upon the heart. Here's, here's the best illustration for the, that I can think of what it means to live under grace. Anybody in here, you don't have to raise your hand. You ever been arrested for being under the influence? The dog who, who just got hit, I think, might have spoke. I'm just kidding. But, but listen... So what's that mean when we say someone's under the influence? It means they were, they were being influenced by something in them that causes them to do things in a manner that they wouldn't if that substance wasn't in them. So grace being the substance, when grace is in your heart and you're yielding to grace, you'll be able to overcome things that you normally wouldn't be able to overcome. You find your th- yourself able to do things that you normally aren't able to do. You find yourself having a strength against problems, against circumstances, that, a strength that you normally wouldn't have. That's what it means to be under the influence of grace. And I made this statement last time. You can be under the new covenant. Every believer, there's not one believer under the old covenant. Every believer, whether they realize it or not, they're under the new covenant. But you can be under the new covenant and not under grace. Romans 6, 14, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you're not under the law, but under grace. What's that tell me? If I find myself in sin, does it mean I'm not saved? No, you're saved. If you believed on Jesus, truly trusted Him in your heart, had a born-again experience, you're saved. But what's going on? You're not yielding to His ability. You're not yielding to His strength. You're not yielding to his power to overcome. All right? So, so, so I, I shared this last time. When you find yourself in sin and you're a believer, it's like a, it's like a temperature. It's like you're running a fever. A fever is never your problem. A fever is telling you you have a problem. A fever is saying something's wrong here. I'm fighting this thing. Something's wrong. Something's going on. All right? A fever isn't the problem. You know, you can actually, I've learned this from my, my wife. She's, she's in the medical field. Sometimes, you know, there's been times she's like, no, you need to, you, we need to see where that fever goes. We need to see what that fever does, right? Um, because it's telling us there's an issue. Let's figure out what that issue is. Sin is, sin is like when you find yourself a believer and in sin, there's an issue. It's, it's like a fever. It's telling you there's an issue. What's that issue? I'm dependent on myself. I'm trying to live under my ability, under my strength, under my influence. I'm trying to do things myself. All right? Um, So, because here's the difference. This is the biggest difference between the old covenant and the new covenant. God did not find, find fault with that covenant per se. God found fault with those who were under the covenant and they couldn't keep it. Because the, the author of Hebrews says, finding fault with them. Paul said the, the commandments are holy, just, and good. The problem is, it was given to man who is not holy, just, and good. 
That was the problem. And because they couldn't be born again, they did not have that ability within them to overcome, to live above, right? But under the new covenant, we have that available to us, all right? So, so under the old covenant, they had to rely on their own ability. Listen, every hero you've got in the Old Testament messed up, and usually pretty badly. The only one, the only one that we find, the closest one to, to being perfect that we can find under the Old Testament is Joseph, right? Joseph, man, Joseph was the one who, you know, his boss's wife's trying to sleep with him, and he runs. Then, yeah, that's true. And then, so I said, closest to perfect. And then you get David. David's like, she ain't even got to be my boss's wife, you know. She can just be one of the soldier's wife. I'm, I'm going to go down there, right? So, so we've just, you see it over and over. Moses was a murderer. Abraham, listen, what's eight? Well, Moses wasn't a murderer, but he did kill a man. Um, and then you find Abraham. Abraham's like, oh, I might get hurt? Yeah, I'll say she's my sister. Um, and that's our father of faith, right? Um, so let, let me look this real quick. I want to go through these as quick as I can. So under the Old Covenant, under the Old Testament, an individual had to rely on their own ability. Under the New, an individual relies on God's ability. All right? Uh, let's go to 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7 through 10. I want to look at what grace is. I'm going to go through these really quickly. Uh, and... Unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan, to buffet me lest I be exalted above measure. I don't have time to talk about what the messenger of Satan is. Go talk to Logan after the service and he will tell you. Uh, con- concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. Verse 9. And he said to me, now look here, my grace is sufficient for you. So what is grace? Is it just a merited favor? No, he's going to tell us what grace is. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. So God's grace is God's strength. All right? Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities. Uh, therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and in reproaches and needs and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Why? Grace. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5 through 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5 through 10. Uh, Paul, speaking of ministry here, he says, Who then is Paul and who is Apollos but ministers through whom you believed as the Lord gave to each one? I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. A lot of ministers, that should become our life verse, right? We need to get that in our heart. Verse 8, now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive. Now I want you to notice this. His own reward according to his own labor. Notice that. His own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. Now notice this. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it, but let each one take heed how he builds on it. Here's what Paul's saying. 
I work, Apollos works, and but it, but the the results we get is a result of one thing: God giving increase, God giving his strength, God giving his ability. So Paul had found he had apostle grace, he had uh, evangelist grace, he had teaching grace, and he leaned into it. Right? I have uh, as a husband, I've got spouse grace. As a father, I've got father grace. As a pastor, pastoral grace. As a teacher, teacher grace. Right? You have the grace for whatever it is you need. You have been equipped. So whatever it is, listen. Listen, whatever it is, you ever, you know, somebody wants you to do something, you think, I'm not qualified to do that. Yes, you are. If the Spirit of God is telling you to do it, grace is coming. One time I remember uh, after a service, I thought, gosh, how would I ever do this? And God spoke to me and he said, the grace for that isn't in your life yet, but it will be. When does grace come? When I need it. All right? Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10. So I, what, what you're going to see here is whenever the Bible mentions grace, most of the time in the New Testament, you'll see word, words like ability, strength, work. All right? You'll, you'll see that. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace, look here, toward me was not in vain. What did He do? But I labored more abundantly. Then they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Grace is with you. God's strength is with you. His ability is with you. His power to overcome is with you. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. And I'm just giving you these, but I'm telling you, I recommend you go home, look up grace, especially in the, the epistles of Paul, and you'll see this over and over. God is able to make all grace abound towards you. Why? That you always, having all sufficiency in all things, look here, may have an abundance for every what? So grace isn't to, to, to excuse you from good works. Grace makes good works possible. Because any work not done under the influence of grace isn't a good work. It's a dead work. Okay? 2 Corinthians 9, 8, uh, Galatians 1, 15 and 16. But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb, look here, and called me through His grace, verse 16, to reveal His Son in me, I think and should be translated through, to reveal His Son through me, that I might preach Him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood. So what's Paul saying? I didn't depend on people to do what God called me to do. I leaned into grace. Gosh, man. Ephesians 3, verses 1 through 7. 
Here we're going to see Paul doing the same thing. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel, of which I became a minister according to the gift of grace given to me, now look here, by the effective working of his power. So what was grace to Paul? The effective working of his power in me. Uh, you don't have to go there on the screen. Hebrews 2.9 Speaking of Jesus, for by the grace of God, he did what? He tasted death for every man. You think Jesus needed some grace for that? He had to lean in to, to sacrifice grace. Anybody ever had to do that? Not on the cross, but listen, there are times God needs you to sacrifice some things. And he'll give you the grace if you'll just lean into it. All right? Um, Let's just go on. And then 1 Peter 5.10 also talks about grace in suffering. Man, we need to put that in our word of faith pipe and smoke it like Greg Moore says. Amen. Um, the New Testament talks about growing in grace, abounding in grace. And James says, listen, to the sinner there is more grace. All right? There's more strength. There's more ability. There's more power for you. All right, so you're, grant, you're talking about yielding to grace. You're talking about leaning into grace. How do I do that? Philemon verse 6 says this. Um, it says that our faith becomes effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is worth in you. Grace, remember, is the divine influence in the heart. One of the good things in you is grace. God's power. God's strength. God's ability, God's power to overcome in Christ Jesus. So what do you do? You acknowledge it. Religion taught us that confessing how bad we were, how stupid we were, how, how sinful we were would, would uh, cause us to live a Christian life. And, and nearly everybody in here found out that is not the way it works. But, so what, how, do I, how do I lean into grace? I acknowledge it. Father, like I said, when... when Gosh, listen, Finn is going through a stage right now. You can ask everybody in my home. Oh, my gosh, Finn's in that stage. He's like, I want some milk. All right, you want some milk? I don't want milk. <laughs> I want a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Okay, I'll make you a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. I don't want a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. <laughs> you know what I'm having to do? <laughs> Lean into <laughs> Father Grace. Right? Fathering grace, parenting grace. Right? Father, I thank you that you've given me this child. He's a gift from you. I thank you for this strong will. Right? Lord, give him clarity and let him know what he wants, but, but I thank you that you are fathering him by fathering me. You are fathering him through fathering me so I can father him. Right? You acknowledge it. Um, listen, there's grace for you to hear the voice of God. I say every single day, one of the first things I say, Father, I thank you today I receive your wisdom. 
I hear your voice. What's happening? I'm leaning into that grace. That's what is available to us. And that's how we lean into it. So uh, let's go to John chapter 8, verse 1. But, but let, me, let me say a few things about mercy and grace. Mercy is about Jesus as our Savior. Grace is about Jesus as our Lord. Because being a Savior is about Him forgiving us, Him redeeming us. But being Lord means, that's what you said to do? Yes, sir, I'll do it. That's grace. Mercy is how God treats you because of Jesus. Grace is what God does in you through Jesus. Mercy is how God relates to you. Grace is how God empowers you. Mercy calls you. Mercy says, I know you don't earn it. I know you've not deserved it. David, I know you, you, don't, earn, you, you don't deserve being a king. Abraham, I know you don't deserve being, uh, having this covenant with me. My, uh, Noah, I know you don't deserve to be saved from the flood. But mercy calls you, but grace equips you. Grace says to Noah, here's how we're going to build this ark. Mercy, this is, this, is, this is it. Why is mercy and grace so important for me as a believer? Mercy will keep you out of condemnation. Grace will keep you out of sin. And when you sin, mercy will tell you there's no condemnation for you in Christ Jesus. But then grace will say, next time just lean into me a little bit more. Grace will give you the wisdom. Right? Uh, man. John chapter 8, verse 1. We're about to see mercy and grace in action in one story. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. And we're going to go kind of uh, quick through this if we can. Uh, now early in the morning, he came again into the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him, look here, a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in, it, in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should, such, that such should be stoned. But what do you say? But they said this, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. Let me tell you what Jesus is doing right here. He's leaning into grace. When people ask you, just stuff puts you in a place, you need to just lean into that wisdom grace. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And those who heard it being convicted by their consciences, and if you want to know what he wrote on the ground after service, go talk to Logan. I hear he knows. All right? I hear he knows. Beginning with the oldest, even to the last, and Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up, so listen, all, the, all of her accusers leave. And look here. Look what Jesus says. Uh, and when Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are your, those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. What's that? Mercy. Go 
and sin no more. What's that? Grace. And when God, when God speaks a word like that, it comes with empowerment. God has never told us to do anything that we aren't equipped to do. Never. Like we get this, this idea, take no anxious thought, and we think, well, you know, what do we say when, when anxiety's going crazy? I can't help it. And listen, been there, done that, got the T-shirt, right? But, he wouldn't have, but I have to tell myself in those moments, he wouldn't have said it if it wasn't possible for me to control my thoughts. But I have to lean into that grace, right? Um, so listen, guys, there's mercy for you. There's grace for you. Mercy forgives sin. Grace overcomes it. So what is it you need this morning? Do you need mercy? Do you need grace? They're both available, and they come from the same place, the throne, Jesus. Amen. That's so good. Does that bless you guys today? Um, so we're going to go ahead. Uh, we'll take up the offering uh, really quick. Um, does anyone have anything really quick while Tim gets that ready? Thank you. Did I make this clear? Because last time I didn't feel like I made it clear. Okay, good, good, good. Um, if you need a giving envelope, you can raise your hand. Tim will get that to you. Um, Father, we thank you for this opportunity to give. We speak a blessing over each and every seed sown. In Jesus' name, amen. So Jeremiah, did he, he sent me a message this morning, and I know Angie already said it, but he wanted me to reemphasize it. He loves you all. He's ministering in North Carolina this morning. Uh, misses you guys. He'll be back. They'll be back next week. So listen, guys. We're, we're, I'm gonna I'm gonna dismiss you here in a minute. Um, as the offering's taken up, I'll dismiss you guys. But just so you know, here in the next hour or so, sometimes we'll get we'll we'll get started. We're gonna have a birthday party for Graham and Finley. Um, you're more than welcome to stay. We'll. Have some pizza. You don't have to stay.